Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your coach, Brian Buffini. Top of the morning to you. Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. Very special guest today, Oscar-winning actor. He's a storyteller, committed husband, father, man of faith, and most importantly, a man with a rich Irish heritage, Mr. Matthew McConaughey. And I, I know you guys know his work, whether it be Dazed and Confused, Interstellar, Dallas Buyers Club, and a true detective, and a dozen other great movies I can mention. But he's written this incredibly popular book called Green Lights. I was just telling Matthew, I read this over the holidays. You guys know how much I read, how many books I talk about. This was a kick in the pants. It was, a, it was good for what ails you, as my mother used to say. And um, it's, just, it's just a breath of fresh air. And uh, we're delighted to have him on the show today. Matthew, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking some time for us. Good morning, Brian. Good to be here, man. I'm, I'm, I'm into whatever's good for whatever ails you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you got it. You know, And you know how the Irish pronounce your name as well. You know, I want to dive right in. Tell the folks what a green light is. So green light, I mean, literally on the highway, it's a, it's a light that says, go on, proceed. It affirms our way. boy, Yes, ma'am. More, please. Freedom. Yes. Uh, we love green lights because they do all those things and they do not slow us down or get in our way. Now, the things that do slow us down and get in our way are the yellow and red lights in life. They may be an intervention, a time of introspection, a pause we have to take, uh, a tragedy, a crisis, a hardship, even a death. We don't ever want the red and yellow lights, but I've found that I believe we all find out that we needed them for some reason. Or at least they had a green light lesson within their red and yellow hue. Mm -hmm. Somewhere down the line in life, in the rearview mirror, all yellows and reds, I believe, do eventually turn green or at least reveal a green light asset um, mm. in our life. Now, we can engineer green lights by responsibilities we take today to create more freedom for our future, all the way down to the simplest things like put your coffee in your coffee filter the night before so when you get up in the morning and you're groggy, all you got to do is push the damn button. That's a green light. <laughs> That's being cool and kind to your future self. Um, sure. Sometimes green lights fall on our lap. Good luck, good fortune. Hell, where'd that come from? I don't know the reason behind it, but I'm going to make some rhyme of it. And um, other times, you know, we just get uh, very, very fortunate <laughs> and take advantage of of those ones that fall on our lap. Or, as I said, do something with the ones we have and engineer more of them for our future. Right. A lot of folks in 2020 experienced yellow, red, and some green lights. I think yep. all of us, you know, I mean, for me, I had I had an empty nest. And then I didn't, you know, my wife and I were ready to downsize. We've been raising kids for 30 years. Here it is. Bought the smaller house. Here we go. Next thing you know, uh, five of my kids came home from college. So, you know, it was, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. You know, there's people losing their businesses. There's people losing their jobs. Other people are killing it. We're in the real estate side of things. People were having record years. And it's kind of such a strange year because some people were winning, some people were losing, some were up and some were down. But at the end of the day, what you're talking about is whether it's yellow or red to be looking for the green light. And I think yeah. one of the things that I got about this book, you know, it's it's interesting, right? Sometimes more is caught than taught. You know, you have some introspective things where you went and you went on a little journey. You went down the Amazon. You went to these different places and it kind of evoked to me. Oh, yeah, right. I love to travel. 
it kind of got out of my mind and explore and experience. And so I really feel like the you know, timing, as you well know, in your career is everything. Yeah, I just feel the timing for this book and this message is perfect because of where people are at. And I think people would like to dream a little bit and aspire a little bit. Right. And um, there's a there's kind of a relentless positivity in the book while also being very real and very, very candid about your life. Well, thank you. Yeah, because I'm not a I'm not into delusional optimism or foolish mm -hmm. optimism. I'm not a Hallmark card. Hey, if you can dream it, you can do it. Rah, rah. I'm, that doesn't I don't purchase that. And I don't believe it even to be true. But, you know, we are in a red and yellow light year. I think we can all admit that. And one of the things one of the approaches, the tools that I bring up early in the book is when faced with the inevitable, get relative. Well, there enhances the tools for which to find or seek the green lights in a red or yellow light like this year. It's inevitable this year. You and I have not had the, the, uh, uh, the vaccine for COVID. So it's inevitable that we were in it. So how do we deal with it? How do we look around at things like you said, whoop, downsized, all of a sudden got five of my kids back in the house. Well, is that yeah. a downside or an upside? Well, you're forced to be with family again. Okay, there's an asset there. Okay, my mother's with us. She's 88 years old. She's now with her grandkids every single day for the last nine months. That wouldn't have happened. Um, awesome. Not flying around the world. Um, a lot of people aren't. Uh, so that's helping a carbon footprint. If you want to look at it that way with the, with the climate, uh, being forced to strip down to our necessities, which we all mm -hmm. have been, makes us reevaluate what we value, maybe put our values in a different order. All those mm -hmm. are some assets without ever denying the fact that you damn right. It's a hell of a tough year we're in right now and right. tougher for others than myself or probably yourself. Sure. Well, and what I've tried to do is my my goal has been, and, and again, it was interesting as I kind of reset myself over the holiday season, and yours was one of the books that was very helpful in that, and I've just decided I'm going to increase my capacity, mm. and my goal is to my physical capacity, my emotional capacity, spiritual capacity, so I can serve more people, you know, so right. I can give it away, because there is a lot of people who are hurting, there's kids, and you, you know, you're involved in the U University of Texas, you know, a lot of kids struggling, there's a lot of kids dealing with anxiety, frustrations, you know, all that kind of stuff, and I just feel like I've had a lot of positives this last year. I'm going to take that, increase my capacity, serve more. I want to Perfect. throw one thing in here that will really light up our audience. You were on your way becoming the family lawyer, and I would have loved that. It's one of my favorite movies of yours when you were a lawyer, but you were stopped in your tracks by reading a book called The Greatest Salesman in the World by Ogmandino. And that is a huge point of commonality with our audience. I've read, I've studied, I've mentored under Ogmandino. You know, I'd love you to share just uh, what impact that book made on you. Yeah, I'd love to. You know... I don't believe I found that book. I believe that book found me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was at a time, you know, it was the first piece of reading material that a teacher didn't tell me, you must read this. It was mm -hmm. the first thing that a friend didn't come up and go, oh, you got to read this. And, you know, that's always, it's, there's good reason to read those things. But when someone does that for me, I always feel like, oh, well, maybe the most I can get out of this is only 75, 80% because it's already passing through someone else's medium and they've already approved it to pass it to me. But this book I found in between a stack of Sports Illustrated and Playboy magazines, both subjects that I was already interested in, but for whatever reason on this day I was not, thankfully, because I then saw this paperback book, it was white cover and red cursive that said the greatest salesman in the world, to which I remember saying to myself as I looked at the cover, I said, well, who the hell is that? And as you know, when you pick it up and you start to read, you find out that is you. You know, I've done that book. It's a 10-month read, as you know. I've done it two times in full. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I realized it's so beautiful how Og structures it because it's a little of what I like to call conservative, early liberal late. Meaning early on, he just talks about habits and love and persistence, things that our mother taught us, you know, but mm-hmm. it's just solidifying the habits and, and, and re, uh, uh, getting our relationship with those habits that maybe we forgot a little bit sound again. And then the second half of the book sets you into flight. Like now go out courage to go and act it. The second half of the book is about now scale it out, increase your capacity and take it into the world. But a little simple thing like that, you know, the, I would greet this day with love in my heart. And there's a thing in that says, everybody I look at today, I will look them in the eye and say, I love you without saying it and see what response you get. It works. And another thing is it's very difficult to do. I was able to do it for maybe two hours is the, my maximum. <laughs> but it's, right. but it, it really works. Um, I started reading it to my kids, going through chapters. The eldest one's getting to where he's starting to really find it interesting and creative because, like me, he's starting to go, oh, what if I go apply that in my daily life and see what kind of response I get back and the reciprocity of that response that comes with the tools that that book gives you. I've done it twice. I've got about six of them because my dogs have eaten them before. They've gotten <laughs> wet. I had nights where you'll love this, Brian, because, you know, you got to read it three times a day, right? Morning, noon, right. and night. Yep. I would have some times where I would head out on a Saturday thinking I was going to come back home, be back home that night in my house so I could lay by my bed and read my book. Well, that Saturday took me maybe two hours away from my house, and all of a sudden I find myself down on the river in a cabin with some friends going, oh, geez, it's midnight. I don't have my salesman. Wow. Give me some coffee, drink some coffee, <laughs> drive back home <laughs> and go get it. I didn't miss it. Didn't miss a read. Well, I got to tell you, thank you, because here, here's the deal. My kids have grown up with it. Dad used to tell it as bedtime stories. They've had the quotes all over the house. They do this at Buffini Company. We have four buildings in our campus and all of our conference rooms are named after people. So this is the Nightingale studio after Earl Nightingale. And we have the Mandino conference room where all of our biggest meetings are. But here's what happened. When I was reading this book over Christmas and all the kids are home, I go, hey, guys, Matthew McConaughey loves the greatest salesman in the world. They're like, really? And all of a sudden, it went from like the eye roll with dad, dad's book to <laughs> if Matthew McConaughey thinks it's cool, maybe I need to relook at it again. So bless you for that. I love it. On a deeper note, you know, I grew up very fortunate in Ireland. Um, my mom and dad bought a house in 1953. They're still in that house. They're 90 years of age. They're married 65 years. There were 710 square feet. There was eight of us and 10 on the weekends. Only one toilet, though. So you, the good news is you never got a cold seat, you know? <laughs> I come to America, and I see a different dynamic of families and family life and whatever else, and it was kind of the Wild West. In your book, and this is very important, you detail both the affection and the dysfunction in your home growing up. You honor mm. and also are aware of, there was violence, mm-hmm. you know, there was love. Your mom and dad were divorced twice and married three times. So many people seem to bring into their relationships the mistakes of what their parents did, even if they try to avoid it. Like a homing pigeon, we find yeah. ourselves repeating the mistakes of our parents. Yep. Um, how have you avoided that? I mean, you're in Hollywood. Yeah. You're, a, you're a sex symbol. You, you've got this very unique upbringing. And now here you are. It seemed to be a very dedicated husband and father. Yeah, well, it's a great question. And I've been asked that quite a few times and one that I've thought about and been forced to think about more so in the writing of this book and then touring with this book. Look, the one thing that was clear is when we had means of discipline, which were corporal punishment, or my mom and dad fought, which 
were bloody fights that I even got to witness and I count some of them in the book. Somehow I knew even at four years old that the love was never oh. in question. I understood. I love you. I just don't like you right now. That's how my mom and dad needed to communicate. My mom's 88 years old in the other room right now. I write about her middle finger that's broken four times from fights with my dad. She, to this day, says, no, 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 I don't regret a minute of that. That's exactly what I needed to communicate. Hell, she started all the fights with my dad. You know, when I met Camilla, I'm like, she comes from a family of mother and father that were divorced three times and married twice. So they wow. ended up divorced. Mine ended up married. So both of us, not too sure about this whole marriage thing, <laughs> you know, but, but we both, but I said to my parents, I said, look, you all like your relationship. You wanted to be in the middle of a storm in the Bermuda Triangle in the ocean. Mm -hmm. I go, I, I want a smoother rolling river with some rapids for some excitement, but I don't need the tidal waves that you all wanted because they mm -hmm. needed that. And so I did see early on and still do see that I want to instill in my children the same values that my mom and dad sure. worked to instill in me. But I'm doing it a different way than they did. But the mm -hmm. values of, for instance, I got my first butt whoopings for lying, for saying I can't, for saying I hate you to my brother. Mm -hmm. Now, whether you agree with getting the butt whooping or not, the reason I got in trouble was a damn good reason to get in trouble. Right. Because look at the antonyms of those. Okay, tell the truth. Uh, believe that you're having trouble doing something, but don't believe you can't, and love don't hate. Mm -hmm. That's three values. So they were instilling values right. for me to go become a autonomous young man who could hopefully negotiate the world with the right kind of character. Now, those are values that I want to instill in my children just as well. I wanted to go about it differently than my parents did, but mm -hmm. I sure do believe in what they were teaching. So what I hear is you were able to eat the meat, throw away the bones. You've extended a level of grace and in extending that level of grace, which is in short supply in our society today, right. um, you were able to see the good and move past and not repeat. And I'm sure, you know, we all have those thoughts or those reflexes or those, you know, responses. Yeah. But if we grow as people, it seems like we can grow through and past and create a new deal, you know? Yeah. And who am I the hell to judge them, my, my, them on how they did it? I mean, it could be up for discussion, but I turned out all right. I mean, I'm working yeah. on those things. I don't remember the pain of the belt on my butt. What I remember is the feeling let down that I had let my parents down by not telling the truth or saying, I can't do this or saying, mm -hmm. I hate you to my brother. I remember letting them down. I remember the pain yeah. on my mom and dad's face going, damn it. Why'd you do that? Just tell me the truth, son. One of the fruits I see in the book is the relationship you have with your siblings. And, yeah. you know, whether it's playing golf, hanging out, being able to talk and, and communicate and get together and, you know, whether it's even getting through the rough spots. You mentioned one time everybody gets together and it was, a, you know, a little rough or a little rocky. But, oh, but, yeah. but one of the fruits of, of your parents' life was that, you know, and now that goes on into the grandchildren, which is which is a cool deal. So you weren't allowed to hold grudges in our family. It was as and I write about this. I'm sure you saw this instead of grounding us. They said, look, we're not going to ground you because time is your most valuable asset and we're not going to take your time away from you. So their right. deal was, boom, let's get it over with. And once it was over with, it was never brought up in the family again what you did wrong. You couldn't wow. ever, the second it was over, you could never bring up, well, you know, I don't know, you didn't, you know, remember what you did last week? And uh-uh. Then that person got in trouble for even bringing it up. Yeah. Well, that's the one departure from your Irishness that I appreciate because in Ireland they say, 
when we have dementia in Ireland, we forget everything but the grudges. And so we have to work through it. So it is a big thing. You know, it made an impression on you. Shortly after your dad passed, and I know he was a larger-than-life character, you carved a, a very meaningful phrase into a tree that says, less impressed, more involved. Yes. Uh, and it seemed to be a very poignant, kind of one of those significant moments in your life. What, what was the significance of less impressed, more involved? Yeah, well, you know, anybody out there who's lost, lost a close loved one, and maybe even specifically a father to a son, how it was for me, you know, he's gone physically. All of a sudden it hits me, whoa, you don't have him to rely on to have your back if you get in the pinch. You don't have that father figure that you that you know is more powerful and influential than any government or law to, to be your crutch if you really get in a pinch, Matthew. So you sober up, you man up, and mm. you all of a sudden I went, oh, all these things he's been instilling in me that maybe I've been doing about half-ass 75% of because I know he's got my back. I better man up and own these things and activate them in my life because he's not there. So when I say less impressed, more involved, I began to notice that there were mortal things in life that I had reverence for. People, mm. places, money, fame, that... If, you know, if I was encountered with them, maybe I'd be too much in awe, too impressed to actually be involved with them because I would be looking up to them. I also noticed that things in my life that I was condescending, sloughing off, oh, that's not worthy of me, ah, that's nothing, that I was looking down on and patronizing. I said those things that I was looking down on rose up to eye level. Those things that I was looking up at rose down to eye level. I remember writing, the world is flat. I see further, I see wider, and I see more clearly than ever before. My heart got higher. I probably got a quarter of an inch higher. I held my head up, and I walked forward with much more courage because I knew it was now on me. I didn't have my dad to have my back. And so I call it a certain sobriety of being less impressed and more involved. And I've taken it on to, you know, understand that in, in, in relationships. You know what I mean? Even with our spouses. If two people, and I've been guilty of this, hold each other in such a reverence or such a reverential state. If I think my wife's Wonder Woman and she thinks I'm Superman, well, we're screwed because neither one of us can live up to it. Right. I can't be involved with, with showing my wife who I am. If I hold her in such reverence that she's holier than that, I can't be involved. It's not fair to me. It's not fair to her mm-hmm. and vice versa. So it's, a, it's sort of a baseline look to just say, hey, sober up, be less impressed with things, more involved, and you'll, get, and you'll actually do those things better. My wife is an amazing woman, former Olympic volleyball player, yada, yada. But I call her Wonder Woman because I always wonder where she is. You know, she's on the move all the time. <laughs> we have a lot of business owners that are listening in today. And you made two decisions from a career standpoint and what I look at from a strategic business standpoint that candidly, you could teach this at any MBA school. You know, we're this huge coaching and training company for fundamentals. Like, I don't know if you even realize how brilliant a process you kind of kind of just blurt out in this book. And you make a big deal of it, but it's phenomenal. And how many people reach these two crossroads? So it's kind of a two-part banger here yeah. in regards to your career that'll be heard through the prism of many people who own a business. So you said, I have five things on my proverbial desk to tend to daily. I had a family, I had a foundation, I have acting, I had a production company, and I had a music label, all of which carried your interest. You got money, you got resources, you've got wind at your back, 
and you find yourself in a very, very typical place that many of us do, over-opportunized, spreading yourself too thin, possibly getting overwhelmed, and you said, I eliminated two of my five commitments with plans to make A's and the other three. You were making B's and five, yep. and you, you pared down and prioritized and reprioritized to make A's and three. Now, that is the language of super achievers, so you know. Right. And I just think it's phenomenal. How did you come to that conclusion, and, and what was that decision like? How hard was it to let go of those things? Well, I'll tell you, um, the decision came very quickly and immediately. And actually, this was one of those decisions that was very clear when it came and also very clear when to put the choice into action. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sitting at home in my office one day. My phone rings. I go to reach for the phone. I notice the number is from my production company, the production company where I pay six employees, the production company where I'm paying the rent. Mm-hmm. And as I'm reaching for the phone, I see the number. As soon as I see it from my office, my hand pauses. And I remember it pausing a minute and I went, I remember looking at my hand going, what the hell is that? Pausing to pick up the phone from your own office of a business that you created. And I sat there and held my hand there and I let the phone ring until it quit ringing. As soon as it quit ringing, I grabbed the phone, called my lawyer and said, I want to close a production company. I want to close the music label. I've got five things and it's too, too many. And I've got these five little campfires going but I don't have my three priorities, the foundation family and my acting career, turning a full blaze. I need Valhalla mm-hmm. on those three instead of spreading the, spreading the wealth here. And I shut it down that day. It was very clear to me. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. I had had a hunch that I felt like I was a little over leveraged leading up to that. Mm-hmm. And, but I needed that. I remember that. My hand pausing on to pick up the phone. And I was like, that makes no sense. You created this in your life. This, you, you, right. you were paying out this. And you don't want to answer that call? So why create something to put on your desk that you don't look forward to dealing with on Monday morning? Right. I had a different experience. Mine, you know, I'm a stubborn Irish guy, so sometimes I got to have my personal growth handed to me over the head. Right. And I, I went to this, you know, this leadership thing, and they had a the former CEO of IBM was on there, and he had turned the company around during, you know, what Big Blue went through a slump. And he said, I lined up all of our assets and we had 33 major projects and we only had 40,000 staff available and $3 billion or whatever. And he says, we had to prioritize. Well, I went home to little old Buffini and company where I had 200 employees and we lined up and we had exactly 33 projects. And let's just say I had less than 3 billion in the bank. <laughs> and, and we went through it and we, we went from 33 projects down to four and we increased our income the following year by a factor of 10. And it was better. We served people better. We enjoyed it better. And I couldn't wait to go to work as opposed to, I'm like, man, I might try to sell this thing and get out of it. So it really is. And it's, it's a scary thing because we're, 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 it's ingrained in us that more is better. Mm, you know, mm, well, and I have the opportunity. I, I can handle it. And I'm very good at like saying at handle. I'm very good at over leveraging myself. And I and I actually have pulled certain things off because when people said you've taken on too much and I proved that no, I actually didn't. But again, it goes back to we all know that to succeed, we need to do good hard work. But is it the right kind of hard work? It's the work mm. smart and not because I, I still to this day have to. Because as a creative, I can find an angle to think anything works. All right. And I, to this day, and my wife is very good at telling me, you might want to call back. Is that really essential? And I'm like, yeah, Mm -hmm. but it's great. So I had to this day, I'm still clearing my desk of things. No, that's a one-off. Don't get into that. See, I think the next piece is connected to it because I feel like 
Sometimes we get bored. On the path to mastery, it can be boring. It can be repetitive. It can be the same old, same old. So it's kind of nice to, especially if you're a creative person, to create something new. It's the buzz. It's the excitement. It's the entrepreneurship. It gets the juices flowing. But it bifurcates the process of that grinding down and using the creativity internally to drill down, you know, further. And, and that's why the second part to me, there was another bold decision. And again, this, any business person listening to this is going to take a deep breath. You know, you were the king of the rom-com, the yeah. romantic comedy. You're this good looking dude. You got this great charisma and personality. You got this stuff. You got these beautiful leading ladies. And it's what people wanted. It's, it, there's a lot of value in romantic comedies. There's a lot of value in people going there because they want to feel better. They want to have that emotional journey. And there's value in those things. I don't discount those things at all. But yeah. you had become that guy. You become labeled as that guy. You became a very wealthy man and a very successful actor doing those things. And the more of that you do, the more of that you get. Yep. And so after you've trimmed down and you've gone to the, I'm going to do three instead of five, you decided you wanted to go in a different direction. You wanted to pursue different types of jobs, do different types of work. You wanted to test yourself and stretch yourself. And like anyone who makes that decision, the phone stops ringing. Yes, it did. The phone stops ringing because, you know, it's the movie industry. It's an industry. And it's, hey, this is how we make money. We do this, we do it. Matthew's name, Matthew's face, that, 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 put him up with JLo. Everything's good. So you made this bold decision that led to this renaissance that you've coined the phrase reconnaissance that led to, I mean, the happy ending is here's the, here's an Oscar winning actor. Here's the roles of a lifetime. Here's Dallas Buyers Club. Here's you know, true detective. Here's all these roles, totally different than a rom-com guy. I mean, there was major chops in that. The mm. good, the enemy of the best is the good. You had something mm. good. Talk to me about how you, you stopped the good, yes. had to suck it up. Things weren't going your way to yes. pursue the best. Well, because I was so successful in the rom-coms and I was the go-to guy and I enjoyed doing them for all the reasons you said I really did enjoy doing them. I did notice that I would get the next rom-com script and read it and go, oh, that's good. And I think I could do that tomorrow morning. And mm -hmm. I remember going, well, that's cool. But man, I sure would like to read something that I go, whoa, I don't know what I'm going to do with this, but I can't wait to find out. Well, those things that I wanted to do that I couldn't wait to find out, those dramatic roles and scripts that I was looking for, no one was even letting me sniff those. I mean, no matter, I could take a 400% pay cut and they were going like, we're not financing that with McConaughey, the rom-com guy, the shirtless guy on the beach in that role. It's not going to happen. So I said, all right, if I can't do what I want to do, what if I stop doing what I've been doing? Mm. So process of elimination, right? Okay. Big risk here. Talk to, shed many a tear on Camilla's shoulder because I was like, if I stop doing rom-coms, Hollywood's going to say, what the hell are you, is he doing getting out of his lane? He owns this lane. <laughs> Do you know how many people would take this lane if they could have it? And who the hell does he think he is? I talked to my money man. How did I save my money? You've done well. Because I don't know how long I'm going to go with that work is what I'm asking. I talked to my agent. I said, I need you to be the guard at the gate. Well, I said, no. I moved back to Texas. Um, I knew I'm going to battle with self-significance. I know I'm going to battle without working every day. I, didn't battle. I need accomplishment. Uh, I, 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 what am I going to do? I'm going to get wobbly. I'm going to peek over at the old bottle a little bit earlier each day, you know, and that can be a, 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 a little slippery slope too for a lot of people. So how am I going to get my purpose each day? Well, but I made the pact. I'm going to do it. 
For the first six months of my sabbatical of saying, no, I'm not doing rom-coms, all I got sent was rom-coms. And I would read them, no thank you. Read them, no thank you. Read them, no thank you. I and the more this. you said no, the more the more the price they wanted, right? They kept offering you more money. It happens, right? So now McConaughey <laughs> saying no, and this one offer. So how puritanical was I, Brian? You know, yeah. ho, 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 ho. So they send one in with an $8 million offer. I read it. It's pretty good. I say, no, thank you. They come back to me with the same script with a $10 million offer. I say, no, thank you. They come back with a $12.5 million offer. I say, ellipsis, ellipsis, ellipsis. Mm, <laughs> no, thank you. They come back with a $14.5 million offer. I said, uh, let me read that again. <laughs> <laughs> Just one time, honey. <laughs> exact same words as the original script, but Brian, it was a better script. It was funnier. It was more dramatic. It had more of an angle that this could work for me. Maybe. No, thank you. I passed. Wow. But when I passed on wow. that, it sent sort of an invisible lightning bolt through Hollywood that says, said, oh, McConaughey's not bluffing. He's really not doing those rom-coms. We could not pull him back in. So now, 14 months go by after that six months where nothing comes in. I call my agent every other day. What do you got? Buddy, no one is even mentioning your name. I bring up your name. They say, don't even want to talk about it. So now I'm going, I may have just taken a one-way ticket out of Hollywood. I may never work in Hollywood again. But I had a hunch that I was like with each day, you know, when you go and you endure something and you're kind of taking a penance with each day, you kind of build a little bit more honor and strength. Like the deeper I get into this, the, the less it's even going to be a possibility of me going back. Well, I was not going back. So Fortunately, I had some things that kept my feet on the ground during that time, which was I had a newborn child that just created the world, Levi, which I remember telling myself, when you get bored or you get full of angst, put your time and effort and love in front of that child right there and you cannot go wrong. We had a family crisis outside of my immediate family that I had to tend to. One of those kind of family crises that shows up that you just drop everything, no matter what you're doing, you go, I got to handle this. So I found some purpose in those two things. And right about then, once I'd forgotten about even going back to Hollywood, wasn't even thinking about it. Well, guess what happened? Guess who was now a new novel, good idea for dramatic roles like Killer Joe, Mud, uh, Paperboy, uh, Bernie, True Detective, Dallas Buyers Club, Magic Mike. Me. I found anonymity in the 20 months. I turned into where the hell's McConaughey? He's not in a rom-com in the theater in front of me. He's not in a rom-com in my living room. I'm not seeing him shirtless on the beach. Where the hell is he? I don't know what he's doing. So I found an enemy. I unbranded. And mm. then when those the fair came to me, the scripts came to me that I wanted to do, that dramatic fair, I attacked it with fangs and, said, and just ate it up because wow. I knew what I wanted to do. But it was the unbranding. It was the go find anonymity again. Well, you can't say it, but I can say it. It was the chops and the guts to do it. And that is that is a hard thing to do. It's hard to say no to the good when you're pursuing the great. Right. And the, the enemy of the best is the good. And it took major chops and um, you did it. And, and what's come is, you know, it's probably produced for you a rebirth of your craft and what sure. it's forced you to do and how you do it. And probably one of the dynamics of what allowed you to even, I, I don't know, if just the rom-com guy could have written this book. I don't you know, know if the rom-com guy would have had the, 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 the identity and the self-confidence to say, I'm going to go sit with myself of the last mm -hmm. 50 years. I'm going to go mm -hmm. be in solitary confinement with myself and ride that bull. That's great. Ride that bull. Well, let's talk a little Texas here for a second, because there's a phrase, uh, 
you know, you're a big UT fan. You got yourselves a new coach down there. Um, I have to live with it every day. I have a trainer named Rico who uh, actually used to serve you in a restaurant down in Austin. And every day, all I hear is the latest update on UT football and what's happening. And, oh, my gosh, it's a religion. But you quote Coach Daryl Royal. Now, when you get your name on a stadium anywhere, you're a big deal. But when you're a coach of football and you get your name on a stadium in Texas, that's that's otherworldly. Yes. And there was a little story you told of a guy going through a tough time and there was a lot of chance for judgment and so on and so forth. And, you know, this guy positions himself in front of Coach Royal and he gives him words of advice. I got highlighters all the way through this book, but this one got a highlight. It got a yellow highlight. It got a green highlight. And it says, I've never had any trouble turning the page in the book of my life. And well, I don't know the simplicity of it, the profundity of it. But talk a little bit about turning the page. And, and, you know, a lot of people need to turn the page right this minute. Yes. You know, Coach Daryl Royal, that was one of his strengths is that he could sum up. And he was a one-liner guy. Mm -hmm. That was his answer to that man, Larry, who was going through that tough time. You know, Larry had talked, probably talked to him for three hours. Mm -hmm. Monologue. And then Coach Royal just, just answered when he, was at, when he was asked, so what should I do? Coach Royal just goes, you know, Larry, I've, just, I've never had any trouble turning the page in the book of my life. <laughs> that really wasn't advice, was it? It didn't tell him what to do. He just made him look at his situation differently and going, oh, yeah, all you got to do is turn it. Now, maybe it's a turn the page in the same chapter. Maybe it's a whole new chapter. Maybe it's a whole new, maybe it's a, maybe it's, you know, a, a, a part two of the book, but we are the author of our own book and to be able to turn the page, you know, I, I write about the way to find the green lights is by persistence or pivot or either sometimes knowing when to wave the white flag. Well, turning the page is probably more leans to the pivot side of mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. going, you know what? I'm banging my head. I keep waking up with the same damn hangover. I keep waking up with the same problem. This choice I keep making in my life is not giving me residuals. It's not paying me back. I keep I keep repeating it, trying to get a different outcome, which is the definition of insanity, right? Mm -hmm. And so maybe I need to back up and go, hang on a second. I got to reapproach this because I got to go about this a different way. I, 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 I got to turn the page and how I'm looking at this or I'm going to get rid of that in my life. And so it's very important. I mean, you don't want to, you know, it, it's an art because you don't want to turn the page too quickly on everything because that would mean we, we don't have enough persistence or, or endurance. Or didn't learn the lesson, right? Right. Because sometimes you have to be in it. You have to bang your head to sit there and go, I, like my mom and dad, their communication was violent. They didn't need, they needed more than words to communicate. You know, some mm -hmm. people, well, you know, what tickles some bruises others, but mm -hmm. Sit there and go, yeah, when, there, when is it a time to turn the page? Do I keep reading the same lines over? Why am I having trouble getting to the bottom of this page and going back to the top over and over again? And asking ourselves, is it paying me back? Mm -hmm. No, the story has to evolve. The story must go on. And it's scary to turn the page because we don't know what's going to be on the next page. And we dwell in it and we, like I said, end up banging our head into something and going, I am a repeat offender. <laughs> I have to turn the page and take the courage to say, I'm the author. I got a blank page on the next next page. Let me continue writing, but let this story evolve. Well, this book is a page turner, my friend. And um, it has giggles. It has profound truths. It has a journal. It has stories. It has travel. It has transparency. I bless your wife, Camilla, for supporting you. Uh, yes. This is very transparent. A lot of people would have a hard time being this transparent. And you've been that. It makes it very human and very relatable. 
we have an audience that love to read. And I would say this is a book you'll love to read. And it's blessed me. It blessed me. And I know it's we have hundreds of thousands of people tuning in today that are book buyers. You know, I've already kind of encouraged some folks to get it, you know, in the last few weeks here and by the hundreds. And uh, we're going to encourage a lot of people to get it because it's a blessing. And I think it's very pertinent. And I, I thank you for writing it. I want to finish up with you, Matthew. We do a little thing at the end of our show. We ask five questions of every guest and from astronauts to sportsmen to actors to, you know, you name it, gi giant business people. We've had them all. And it's just a fascinating piece and it gives a little different take. So just kind of rapid fire questions. You don't know what they are, but okay. uh, here we go. And what's the single best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Oh, oh, I've had thousands of crises in my life. <laughs> Most of them never happened. <laughs> we just got a little actor out there, folks. You know, Bono told me never trust a performer. That was beautiful. Well done. Next, what one talent or gift do you wish you possess? that you currently don't playing the bass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is the most common answer. When I heard Lou Holtz tell me that he wished he could stand on stage and perform rock and roll to 30,000 people in a stadium, I thought, okay, it's, it's deep for everybody. I've mentioned one book, but what, what other book has been most instrumental in your life? Emerson's essays. Oh, very nice. That self-reliance. If I could, if I could engrave that in my soul, uh, it, it's 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 worth rereading and re letting it repenetrate. Um, love that, love that 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 is that has given me a lot of of courage and determination, and at the same time, uh, empathy and and forgiveness as well. But that that that's that yeah, Emerson's essays. Nice. That doesn't surprise me. There's a lot of thoughtful stuff throughout this book, and um, you you have a little part theologian, part philosopher in there. It's those great stuff. Now, I've asked this question to a lot of people, but uh, maybe not as big a movie star as you are. So what movie do you watch over and over again? There's people that are scrolling the channels. Every time it's on, they stop. Which one for you? Raising Arizona. Sure. It's a Coen <laughs> Brothers film, one of my favorite comedies yeah. of all time. I find something new to laugh at in that thing on the 22nd time of viewing it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I love that film at any time. It sends shovers down my wife's spine when she thinks somebody is stealing one of their babies. So <laughs> that's great. That's good stuff. And then one last thing. What's one thing still on the Matthew McConaughey bucket list? That one day, and I think it would have to be after my kids are out of the house, that I'll be on the list, of the one-hand list of uh, my kids' best friends. Got to be their dad first, their friend second. If you, you know, love your bride, be dad. They all come back around. I'm kind of in that phase of life. Yeah. I'm a grandpa now and life is good. And uh, I got to say this, you're a credit to your mom and dad. You're a credit to the state of Texas. You're a credit to the profession of acting. And uh, congratulations. It's been, been a blessing uh, to meet you and to interview you. The book is a blessing. I think it's a gift. I know you said it's a, it's a, a love letter to life. And I think uh, that's what it is. And I think right now we could all use a little more life. So thanks for being on with us today. And uh, you really have been a blessing. I'm going to finish up today with the blessing, the biggest green light in my life. She's 90 years of age. She's five foot two. And she has more fire in her belly than most people do in their whole body. We're going to finish off here today with my little mom's Irish blessing. You'll enjoy this, Matthew. May the road rise up to meet you. And may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. 
And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. Thank you.